Angel is brought to you by LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn as the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. Go to linkedin.com slash angel to get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And Salesforce Essentials. Jumpstart sales and support by leveraging the world's number one CRM at a startup price point of just $25 a month per user. Go to salesforce.com slash angel for an additional 50% off and a free onboarding call. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 3 of Angel, the podcast I started to complement the book I wrote. The book is called Angel. The podcast is called Angel. You can go buy the book, angelthebook.com. It's also in Japanese and Chinese soon, coming to seven other languages. I don't know which ones. They 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 sell them. Thank you, Brockman, Inc., for selling my book around the world. I appreciate it, and I'm uh, hard at work on the next book. This podcast is to give you an idea of how other people think about investing. There is no one thesis or theory or overriding magic bullet of how to invest in private companies, nor public ones, to be honest. What there are are a lot of people who've become successful at it and different theories, different takes on it, different strategies, and they are all contextual. So while there are heuristics, the game changes based upon the environment we're in. The environment we're in in 2019 at the taping of this is radically different than when I started in 2008. In 2008, we had a hard time finding six companies to come to Open Angel Forum, which was just like a little get-together of 15 angel investors and six founders. One of those founders that came was Travis from Uber. Another was Marco from Thumbtack, Melody from Styleseat. Back then, if you met a startup, they were likely legit, hardworking, and determined. The chances of them failing were still great, but much less than today when we have a lot of noise. Probably 100 times as many founders today are creating companies, perhaps 200. What that means is the name of the game in 2019 is to sort properly, and the name of the game in 2008 was to place bets actively. Who knows what the name of the game will be in 2029, but we'll figure that out here on Angel the Podcast, and you can visit angelpodcast.com. I'm really excited to have our next guest because he's a longtime friend of my other podcast this week in startups and an extremely talented founder. His name is Ryan Hoover. You know him because he was the founder of Product Hunt, uh, which he started back in 2013-ish. Uh, not quite that. Yeah, it was 20, actually end of 2013. End of 20, so 2014. Yeah. Incorporated 2014. Got it. Yeah, incorporated yeah. 2014, uh, sold to AngelList, and now... Uh, you are the founder of Weekend.Fund, the mm -hmm. Weekend Fund, which is mm -hmm. a $3 million fund. I think you've made 37 investments. Mm -hmm. uh, typical check size is 50K, 100K, something yeah, in that exactly. range. Yeah, exactly. I did the median is 75K, so right in the middle there. Perfect. Yeah, uh, and you have, uh, I'm sure, a thesis about investing given the fact that you created Product Hunt which ranks the top product launches of the day, almost like a Reddit or a Dig for newly released products. Mm -hmm. What is your thesis about angel investing? And welcome back to the program. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing this, by the way. It's, uh, Thanks it's, for I've shaving. Yeah. I did shave for you, just I for know. you. That I mustache almost... was, uh, I was like, what happened? Did you have some chocolate milk or something? I know. I was, <laughs> I had never grown up my facial hair. This is total tangent, but I'm like, let's just see what happens. I was in LA yeah. for a while. I'm going to try and get some like- Failed experiment. Yeah. It was a failed experiment. I shaved right before my brother's wedding and now I'm here. 
Uh, I was tempted, though, to to keep it for you. Yeah. Uh, but I knew you'd probably kick me out. No, I wouldn't um, have kicked you out. I would have directed <laughs> you to one of the many bathrooms we have here in the studio and given you some edge shaving gel and yeah. would have uh, just yeah. cleaned that mess up. Yeah. Hopefully I look right. Uh, don't worry. When I <laughs> when I don't shave, I, I look like a drug dealer or something or a homeless person. So we, we yeah. don't all have equal uh, facial hair abilities. Yeah. But let's get back to it. What's your... Um, What's your thesis? Do you have one ha- after these first 37 investments in your $3 million micro fund? I guess mm-hmm. we call that a pop-up fund. Or nano fund. I don't know what to call it. People micro? Are different. What do you Na- call it? I, well, nano fund? Some people say nano fund. Micro fund for some people is like $50 million fund, which is totally no, that's different. Yeah. I mean, some people call it that. So no. we, we need better definitions. Yeah. I think. Anyway, you have your first fund of mm-hmm. $3 million mm-hmm. to make angel investments. It's an angel yep. fund. Essentially. Yeah. 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 It's been two years now since I've started. And what's the thesis? What's your theory? And then the next question, you can take whichever order you want. Did you have a thesis when you started? And do you have a thesis now if they changed? Yeah. So I, like some investors, they focus specifically on one vertical, one space, they own it, they become an expert in it. For me, I've always considered myself somewhat of a generalist anyway. And, and while I do focus on a couple of particular things like product, marketing, community is kind of where I, I think I can provide help and value. And that's you know where I spend a lot of my time in product hunt. I generally am, am more of a generalist when it comes to investing as well. And so the weekend fund is really focused on early stage investing. It's $3 million fund investing 50 to 100K check size. And these are usually investing in the first round of funding. There's some later stage investments, which we can talk about later on. But the core focus is the first round of funding when they're super early. Maybe there's not even a product built yet. And what I'm looking at a lot of times is is really looking for people who are building for platform shifts and consumer behavior shifts. In other words, like who's building something really interesting today that's super nascent for a future that they're imagining or can articulate in some way. So you don't have a specific vertical that uh, you focus on, like, say, Jason Lemkin at Saster, or -hmm. maybe some other people who say they focus on marketplaces. So you're agnostic to a specific vertical, and you're looking for a market that has yet to materialize or maybe is just starting to materialize. Mm-hmm. Did I summarize that correctly? Largely. And, and there's some investments certainly that don't exactly fit that sort of thesis. I'm not sure. super strict around that. But a lot of them are like audio and voice is a category that I'm super interested in as a consumer, but also as an investor, as we're seeing more and more smart speakers. There's probably a few of them here in this room, I'm sure. The yeah. one right behind you, actually. Yeah. And it's unplugged. Have, yeah. Thank God. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, yeah. Alexa. CIA. Yeah, you turned it off. Yeah. Um, okay, Google. <laughs> yeah. I have my phone on. That's interesting. Okay, Google works. Is it even in airplane mode? There you go. Okay, Google works. I didn't know that would work. It's listening um, to us. It's listening to us. Yeah. yeah, you can put it in airplane mode. The CIA can still listen. So you yeah. have a thesis that audio interfaces and audio in general are going to work. Is that driven because of the AirPod phenomenon, which means people can keep audio in their ears longer or voice? I guess those are the two wide nows in that category, huh? Yeah. Voice recognition. Yeah, they're, they're, certainly that's part of the theme. I think when you look at it from a platform perspective, so you have, I think the latest numbers that I saw reported were around 70 million US homes have a smart speaker. Mm-hmm. Most of that's Alexa or like an Echo kind yeah. of device, but a lot of Google Home devices as well. And also Alexa's being integrated into microwaves and clocks and everywhere. Yeah. And so that that number, it's about a quarter of the US population has a smart speaker, which is kind of crazy if you think about Three, How four quickly years ago. that happened. Super quick. Yeah. And I, I even remember seeing a stat before Christmas last year. I think it was around 40 million was was the report. And it jumped up to 60 to 70 million shortly after right. that. They're so cheap. 
They're so cheap. Amazon is promoting them like crazy. They're bundling them, you know, for 20 or $30, you can get an Echo Dot. So we're crazy. seeing a lot of proliferation of this hardware. Now, a lot of people are like, well, what do you use it for? Music, weather, maybe calendar and nothing else. And that's true to some extent. Like there's, it's TBD on exactly how people are going to build on top of this platform and build interesting experiences or let alone businesses on it. But I think the same is true for mobile. Like you think about mobile in the early days, it didn't have... It didn't have an app store in the beginning. It didn't have a lot of the infrastructure nor the like consumer behavior, um, like the understanding of how to use the device in the beginning. And the same thing is true for voice. Like we're still figuring out how do we even use our voice to interact with technology. Yeah, I mean, it literally parallels the smartphone and the PDA revolution. When the Mm -hmm. PDA came out, people thought it would be for trading business cards. The Mm -hmm. Palm Pilot's first, you know, killer app was to point your Palm Pilots at each other. You had to get within like... I don't know, six inches of the IR. They had some sort of, mm. you know, infrared at the tip of it, and you would flip your or you know your business card to each other. You didn't have to carry a business card; you just carry a device that had a battery life of two hours. Yeah. And then the other one was uh. to send money between each other, and that's actually what PayPal was going to be: was sending money mm-hmm. between PDAs. And then they were like, "Well, kind of the last thing had scale email, and mm-hmm. PDAs don't have scale, so why don't we just make it by email? It's less friction, mm-hmm. and it kind of worked." Um, What have you looked at in community? Because it seems to me that you really mastered this combination of social plus community Mm -hmm. on Reddit. Is that because you grew up, I'm sorry, on Product Hunt, is that because you grew up on Reddit and you kind of just learned about chaotic message boards? Yeah. How did you become an expert on community? I I, I don't know. is the honest answer. I think it's a lot of a lot of what I've learned is just by doing things and following what I'm interested in. Hmm. And so when I reflect on my childhood, I, I played a lot of video games. In fact, gaming is probably my gateway gateway drug into technology. And oh. and it was not only my first career in startups was in gaming, but before that, gaming is kind of what led me into. Did you ever play StarCraft? Or, sure. I, yeah. I was in Age of Empires. Yeah. I like, but I love that. Is that the category massively multiplayer online gaming? Uh, StarCraft is in um, oh, RTS. RPG, RTS, real-time yes. strategy. Yes. So it's yeah. real-time strategy. Oh, massively mm-hmm. multiplayer online game would be Like World of Warcraft. Warcraft. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, World of Warcraft. Wow. Yeah. No, I like RTS, real-time strategy. Yeah. I was a huge, huge fan of StarCraft and many other similar games. Zerg? You played Zerg Rush? I, I was I was actually more Protoss oh, back really? then. Yeah, and then StarCraft Two came along years later, and then I switched to Terran. But um, what is Terran? Oh, Terran is the other. There's like three the human, civilizations. Yeah, they're the Terran, more human-like uh, Zerg. Race. Zerg is like the bugs. Yeah, they're like sort Terrans of alien to bugs. humans. And Proton is like the power electricity kind of like the, ones. Sort of like alien-like alien creature. Like, got it. Yeah. But the reason why I mentioned StarCraft is because StarCraft was one of the first online games I started getting into. And the, the company Blizzard that made StarCraft, they had this thing called Battle.net. Yes. Which is basically IRC. And so I first got introduced to Battle.net, started like learning about clans and meeting some people on the internet and talking them, talking with them under a pseudonym. That then led me to IRC, which opened up this whole world of all kinds of stuff. Because like IRC is this, this kind of weird rabbit hole of the internet, which, you know, doesn't exist in the same form. I think probably the, the equivalent today is like Twitter and Discord and, um, you know, various like internet forums is kind of equivalent to what IRC yeah. was back then. What was going on in IRC was just a bunch of like 15-year-old kids and developers talking insanity. You know, a lot of it was – so there's a lot of like illegal downloading in IRC Uh, and that whole world. Trading wares. Trading wares, yeah. Trying to get movies and games for free, of course, like zero zero day, zero second uploads. So that was an interesting kind of – Wait, what does that mean? Zero day, zero second? Like 
the day when they come out. The moment it comes out. There's a whole network of, of people and, you know, it still exists today and, and I'm not a part of it at all. But, you know, it, it was exploring that world back then and people would release and, you know, illegally videos and screeners and whatnot. And it would just get distributed like this as an instant across multiple different servers. It is crazy. It still occurs. Communicate. Yeah, yeah, it still occurs just in different, I'm sure, different ways. BitTorrent and stuff like that because people who are expats in China or, you know, France or whatever, and they want to watch Game of Thrones, there's some mm-hmm. group of people who are ripping it in real time, mm-hmm. which is crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Some group of people are so passionate about stealing movies and TV shows that they record them in real time and get them on the internet, and they kind of brand their clan of people who do it because they want yeah. credit, yeah, not monetary credit. Is reputation. Reputation. It's all about reputation. So who can get it up first? And even the way that these systems worked actually is you would get access if you through the network, through you know, friends or people you met, you get access and then you basically have to earn your keep. And so mm-hmm. you'd upload basically movies and games to get credits and you'd basically be ranked on a leaderboard. So this is kind of where the social and community aspects kind of come into play is mm-hmm. you have these communities that are distributed, that are working together, that are doing largely it for access, but largely for reputation within oh. this community. All right, when we get back, I want you to tell me about what investments you've made based upon the community thesis Mm -hmm. and reputation thesis that you learned as a kid playing video games and hanging out in IRC with your parents not knowing. When we get back on Angel. Hiring is so hard. It is probably the hardest thing you're going to do aside from raising money. And you know what? A lot of the people I know who raise money, they have a harder time finding team members. It's arduous. It's hard out there. We have incredibly low unemployment and there's a massive, massive competition for great talent. But luckily, there is LinkedIn Jobs with more than 500 million active members. People come to LinkedIn every day to make connections, to grow their careers, and to discover new job opportunities. 90% of LinkedIn users are open to new opportunities, but they're not actively looking on job boards. You know these people, you're probably one of them. So LinkedIn Jobs gives you access to an entirely different demographic that doesn't exist anywhere else. We call those passive job seekers. They might not be looking for a job, but they would consider a new gig if it was better. And we found director Sir Charles and our marketing manager, Maureen, on LinkedIn. You need LinkedIn jobs to find the right people for your business, and you will get targeted job promotion, recommended matches, and candidate management through a dashboard that tracks everyone from application all the way to hire, all in one place. So you're not going to lose valuable candidates. LinkedIn jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills like cloud computing, social media marketing, video production, whatever it is, and soft skills like collaboration and time management. And they do that to match people who fit your role best in your company. So here is your call to action. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash angel, A-N-G-E-L, and get $50 off your first job post. And that's right, a 50, a 5-0 from JCal and your friends at LinkedIn by going to linkedin.com slash angel. It's that simple. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, welcome back to Angel. My guest today, Ryan Hoover, who has been uh, a guest on my other podcast, This Week in Startups, many times. But now he's moved from being just a founder to being an investor and founder. Mm-hmm. Which one do you like better? I like both. You it's like kind of like peanut Me butter too. and jelly. It's both yeah. better together. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Uh, although people frequently deride 
the ADD folks like us who do both. Mm-hmm. I kind of like doing both, but I do understand people's position. When we left you uh, and the weekend fund, I'd ask you about your thesis on investing and community as part of it and reputation in community and wanting to move up the leaderboard. So obviously Product Hunt had a lot of those dynamics in it. Mm-hmm. I know this because Product Hunt would start the voting at midnight. Mm-hmm. And then every founder I had, because I don't know, somehow I became a super router on Product Hunt, I guess because I authenticated my Twitter and my Facebook. You're pretty early. Your user number is probably, probably in the three digits. Of the, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was early. Um, and... I, I guess because I authenticated my Twitter back in the day, Facebook, it would bring those friends along with you. I don't know if you can still do that anymore. Can you still do that? Bring the social graph with you or no? Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. it's a little harder yeah. now or it's still Facebook lets you do it. I thought um, Facebook cracked down on that because of the whole Cambridge Analytica of like bringing your friends. Yeah, it's still it's still working as far as I know unless yeah. we need to <laughs> check something. No, I, you know what it probably is? Is it probably if your friends show up there, then it connects you. But anyway, I be I started having, I don't know, tens of thousands of followers or connections. Mm-hmm. So then everybody who wanted to post their launch on Product Hunt in my portfolio mm-hmm. was like, will you do it for us? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my Lord. So literally at 12.15, once a week for a year, I was setting my alarm in case I fell asleep to go post for people. Too kind. We actually introduced finally, this is probably two or three months ago, the ability to schedule launches. Oh, and thank it's the a, Lord. It's a request that founders have asked forever, and there's reasons why we didn't do it, but now you can go to bed. You shouldn't have done night. it. You should have made people stay up for the person. It's kind of part of the fun, though, too, for some I know. Yeah. T- take that feature out. <laughs> um, so what have you invested in, and what haven't you invested in, and how do you make a decision? Because community is one mm-hmm. of the hardest things to invest in. Mm-hmm. Right, like most people don't like to invest in community, even though we have some outliers like Reddit or Twitter is a community. And mm-hmm. um, what, how do you make a decision on what have you invested in that space? Yeah, so there's, I think it's it's really hard to build a community, and uh, not every business should have a community aspect. I think communities is sort of trendy. It's like some ways people think, oh, community is the hot next thing, and everyone should have a community. That's not really true, but you can build. You can build a really strong business and defensibility by building community on top of your mm. core product and core offering. So I'll mention one company, VoiceFlow, I invested in, which goes back to the audio voice kind of focus. They're a super simple tool to build voice apps in the browser, no code. I built a, a joke app in about 10 minutes just for fun in the browser. You know, I'm not an engineer. So it's either. like Twilio for voice? Um, Would you say? Not Squarespace not, for voice? More like Squarespace for voice or Got Wix it. for voice is Got how it. I describe it. And so you can build really complex apps um, you know, for yourself, for your business, whatever it may be. And the reason why I got, one of the reasons why I got really excited about VoiceFlow and committed to invest was the the founder and specifically Braden, the CEO's focus on community, which doesn't necessarily need community to build a product and almost like a SaaS-based product like that. You don't need community per se. But it's such a strength for their business and mm. where they're heading long term. And the way they've done this is they have it's it sounds basic, but they have a, a Facebook group mm. and they're super early. Uh, but they use this Facebook group and speak with their their community and, and get feedback from them in a really authentic way. Braden will do uh, vlogs basically with his camera, super authentically speaking to his Facebook group, his community, and just like say, hey, here's what what so-and-so is building. Here's what's coming up. Thanks for the suggestion, Bob. Thanks, Sarah, for submitting Hmm. your your app to the the marketplace, things like that. And this focus has allowed them to really build more of a community around this sort of nascent group of people who are Hmm. building voice apps, which 
are very underserved. There's no really place for them to go to, or at least a single brand, kind of local brand for them to. So it creates like to. a there there. There's like something for you to do if you're passionate about it. Just like if you were using Battle.net and you were passionate about StarCraft, joining a clan would mm-hmm. lead you to learn how to do the Zerg rush or some esoteric mm-hmm. technique, tower defense, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, some you know crazy techniques uh, and just bond and geek out. Yeah, it and, and learn like together a, is is the cool uh, thing because people are people are exploring this nascent space and figuring out what can they use voice flow for, but more specifically, what can you do? What kind of voice apps could we create together? Gotcha. And so they share this sort of like a show and tell in this Facebook group. It's really cool. Yeah, that's neat. And then you yeah. also have Girl Boss. Yeah, that's uh, right. Sophia Amorosa's yeah. company, mm-hmm. and they're doing live events, which are super community driven. But they're also going to release at some point a LinkedIn for women. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's yeah. What they've been yeah. sharing. I was in LA uh, last two months or so and met up with Sophia to talk about and, and kind of jam on some ideas around that. And, uh, you know, Sophia is is kind of a natural community builder, really. I mean, she yeah. started off more in, well, just selling things on eBay, fashion, right. like products. And over time, she sort of built, well, has built a brand and wrote a book and there's a Netflix show based on, on her story. But she's just a natural community builder. And that's, yeah. that's the thing that, this is sort of the X factor in this founder, mm-hmm. Sophia, that got me committed and excited to participate. And then Breaker, the podcasting uh, app you're also in, mm-hmm. is that Leah Culver's? Yeah, Leah and Eric. Yeah, she had yeah. made Pounce, which was a Twitter clone yeah. back in the day, which was so much better than Twitter. It had like so many cool features. Like Twitter didn't have image hosting. It didn't have video. It didn't mm-hmm. have location. It didn't have any of that stuff. And they just built it all in. Pounce mm-hmm. was so cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they stopped producing it. They shouldn't have shut it down. They should have kept going. Yeah. There needs to be an alternative. yeah. I don't I know. So. I mean, there are alternatives. It's just hard. Network effects of Twitter are so strong. I mean, it is really for strong. you to switch your entire audience and focus from Twitter right now with with your following and brand to something new is tough. It is tough, but I mean, it really. I, I woke up the other day. I had twenty thousand followers on Instagram, which is weird because I don't really use it for anything but posting meat and that I'm grilling, <laughs> and my kids. That's like literally yeah. all I do. I don't think I've ever done a selfie on. I did one selfie in the last year and it got like five. I guess I, that's the problem is I don't do selfies. Mm. And I did one and people were really excited about a selfie. But I just find like an, if you're an adult, like you're 32 now, right? What are you, 33? Yeah, 32. Yeah. Yeah, like you're you're aging out of selfies. Like <laughs> you're or, about or to. Maybe... When you hit 35, the idea of a 35-year-old doing selfies is just so sad. Or maybe just the this behavior will will move with this generation, and then the selfie is going to be the lame thing, you know, for the kids that are one or two. The decades next one. Younger. So you yeah. think your millennial generation will be like sixty two years old and being like selfie Coachella, maybe. my fortieth Coachella, yeah, in a row. Yeah, I, might, many, I just went to my fifth. Fifth. In I was a row. about to set the line. Yeah. Thanks for ruining. It. I was about to set the line at four. <laughs> yeah. That's how good of a gambler as I was going to say. Pick yeah. the over under a four, Jackie. Yeah. And I think I would have gone. Uh, four and under, not five, mm. but you've been to five. Five, yeah. And the best band, the best moment for you. Give me your best Coachella moment. The the best, this is an easy one, actually. So my first Coachella- I knew it was. MGMT. <laughs> I got it. Okay. No, no. Porter Robinson. Okay. Do you know Porter Robinson? No. What is oh. it a band or is it a- It's a DJ. It's He's, a DJ. Yeah. Got yeah. It. yeah so 2000... you were in the Sahara tent. Actually, yes. <laughs> it okay, was so Sahara. In the Sahara, t- yeah. Sahara yeah. tent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the day, two o'clock in the afternoon, or this was it two a.m.? This is about a big, big 10 difference. PM. Okay, so, so it's a nighttime. Yeah, night, so nighttime. it's only eighty-four degrees. Yeah, only eighty-four. 
And how close are you to the stage? Are you in the pit? Are you in the center? Or are you on the periphery? Because I don't even go, I'm on the periphery. I'm like one foot out of the tent. Yeah, I was in I the put middle. I one foot in the tent. I keep one foot out of the tent just so I can make my case. exit. Yeah, that's smart actually. Yeah. It can get crowded. We were, in, were, we're in the middle. If you're you check, in the middle. See, yeah. that's why the difference generationally. Like a Gen Xer, we're just like, you know what? If this sucks, I need to be able to bail immediately. But you're a millennial, mm -hmm. you're all in. You, in. you go right to the center. Yeah. I yeah. would never go to the center of the yeah. Sahara tent. Oh, it's so fun. There's, if you follow me on Instagram or if you check out my Instagram, you can, you can scroll back actually. I have there's a video. selfies of you in the Sahara tent. There might be, tent. there might be, but there's there's a video and it just it encapsulates, encapsulates the whole moment yeah. when you're in the middle and yeah. this is why I love live music and I'm going off on a tangent, but I love live music. I love concerts because it's sort of this moment to sort of forget about work and just come amongst all these people. It's to like a, a tribal expense yeah. and, uh, and just dance and have fun and listen to good music. Now, time. when you first go, you just got the general admission tickets. But now that you're an investor and you got all these huge management fees, <laughs> I'm assuming you had the $5,000 VIP. You were backstage. You have a trailer. What did you have? No, we, we do GA. Um, and actually, I don't take any You're in general fees. pop? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Honestly, it's it's not that big of a difference. And no, I know. I had the VIP. It's not worth it, in my opinion. I, for the bathrooms, I'd say yes, it is. Well, that, that is a nice luxury. But for three times the cost. I mean, having like a hundred porta pot, hundred porta potties, and like two are in use, and all yeah. of them are clean. Yeah, that's kind of worth it. Yeah, the weight on the porta potty is pretty crazy. It's gotten better. It it's has gotten, it? Yeah, this past year it was like there was no lines. Porta potties weren't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome so. to this week in Coachella <laughs> Music Festivals. Yeah. My guest is Ryan Hoover. Um, and Breaker, what was Breaker's concept here? Yeah, so Charles was like in the chat room, I'm so old. You are, Charles. You are. <laughs> but you know what, Charles? I'm going to do a uh, 40 and over trip to Coachella. Me, you, and Jackie are going. We're going to go the 40 and over trip. Anybody on our staff under 40, we're going to get you Gen Pop. I'm going to get VIPs for the over 40 crowd here. Um, <laughs> and to answer your question in the chat room, um, the the entire tent, the Sahara tent, is open on all sides, basically. So you can walk in and out almost anywhere. Unless you're in the middle, you're kind of stuck. It's hard. In to the middle, out. you're stuck. But yeah. I'm saying, like, if you're on the edge, it's kind of open. There's doorways mm -hmm. up and down all sides. Mm -hmm. See, that's so that's the move. Yeah. Um, what was the, the thesis behind Breaker? Because you have Android has its own built-in uh, podcasting player now. Mm -hmm. Obviously, iTunes created their own. What's your thesis of why you would create or why you would invest in? Because most people would be scared. It's a mm -hmm. free product from Google mm -hmm. and Apple, pre-installed in Apple's case on the phones. I guess Google doesn't pre-install the podcasting app, which is so yeah. weird. They they announced it, I think, about a year ago. So oh, maybe they'll pre-install after... in the next one. Yeah, it's very likely that they will. They're yeah. starting to actually show podcasts in search results that are playable too. Big deal. Which they're indexing as well because historically podcasts haven't been really discoverable. No. At least is the same way that like text mm. has been discoverable through SEO. Hey, Nick, uh, Emmy nominated Nick. No Emmy, Nick. Can you uh, make a note about SEO for our two podcasts in Google and just check it? I have yeah. to wait to figure out how that works. So why did you invest in Breaker? So Breaker, what's funny about about podcasts in general is if you are really familiar with the product hunt kind of history, we actually explored podcast discovery. You back did. In the day. Yeah. We you were... had a category and I used mm -hmm. to, myself and Kara Swisher used to post ours, but we were the only people posting our podcast. Yeah. We, we had this small niche kind of group of podcast creators that loved yeah. it. Actually, yeah, I one, did. after we killed it, one person was really upset. They're like, wow, our downloads just dropped in half since you killed it. Oh. And they were really disappointed. And they found that, you know, the reason that they, what they were looking for was there was no community for podcasts on the mm -hmm. internet. 
there were very few places to get your podcast discovered. Same thing with technology products. Yeah. Like how do you get your app out there? How do you get users? Mm. And so there's a lot of similar characteristics to someone building an app to someone doing a podcast that we wanted to support and help on the product hunt within the product hunt community and experience. Uh, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but it, it failed. There are a number of reasons why it didn't work. But the thesis and the idea of there is a need for this, there's a need for discovery, there's a need for community around podcasts stuck with me. And then Breaker was the first company I actually invested in. It was in YC 2017, I think, one of those batches. And uh, I'd been following Leah for a while. I got to know Eric later on and and invested because of just the partly the, the the need within the market of how do you build community, how do you support creators and help them get feedback and help them get listeners and so on. All right. When we get back from this quick break, I want to talk about what you've learned after deploying almost all of the three million, what your future plans are, and how you think about. Um, Joining another firm, which you could. I know you've had some offers to join some nice firms. You don't know that I know that, but I know that. <laughs> you had offers. Yeah. You didn't take them. People recruited you. You didn't take them. You've decided to stay independent mm -hmm. and raise on Angelish your own micro fund. I want to know how you came to that decision to not join a bigger firm and stay micro and independent. And then what mm -hmm. your plans are for the future. What do you think about now that you've already done these 37 investments and hey, you could work at a big firm. You could even raise a bigger a bigger fund, or you could join with a couple of these micro funds and maybe start your own. Mm -hmm. When we get back on Angel, scaling sales is so hard. My startups are struggling to build their sales teams and increase the number of leads they get. It's hard to scale sales. We all know that. But you also already know that Salesforce is the world's number one customer relationship management platform is also known as CRM in the business. And now with Salesforce Essentials, you get an easy out-of-the-box tool and support all at a startup price point. And that's the key here. Salesforce wants to engage startups and they're willing to give you a great price, which I'm about to get to. And the benefits include instant setup and you can easily scale your sales team with just a couple of clicks. You don't need to code and you will get simple integrations that connect and integrate all of your data under one roof You'll have full cycle customer support, so you automatically connect multiple support channels in one place, and you'll be able to automate busy work and repetitive tasks so you're not wasting time and money. Also, your customers can help themselves with a self-service support website. That makes it really easy breezy. Everything you need is on one screen, so you can track emails, calls, and meetings just from your inbox. Super easy. Get access to the world's number one CRM, at a cost fit for a startup. So here is your call to action. I want you to go to salesforce.com slash angel and get a 50% discount with an annual contract and get a free onboarding training session. You got nothing to lose and you're gonna get that 50% discount. And really thanks to the Salesforce team for being so generous to the startups who listen to this week in startups and angel, my two podcasts. Go to salesforce.com slash angel and get that 50% discount. Hey everybody, welcome back to Angel, the podcast. We have uh, a Patreon now for this week in startups, my other podcast. And the last two questions of this episode will be exclusively available to the Patreon subscribers who get ad-free experience, which is 0.01% of our user base, but maybe we'll grow to 1% if you're into such things. So you get your own custom mm. RSS feed over there. Um, and that's quite nice. I, I enjoy uh, having the option to be ad-free and also getting that bonus material. So we're going to be working on that a whole bunch for you. Go to Patreon and type in a search for This Week in Startups. Okay. Um, let's go through it. 
why didn't you join another firm? You could have gotten, let's face it, probably a quarter million, half million dollar salary, and you could have been a partner at you know, an emerging firm. Mm-hmm. Why did you turn down those offers? I won't say which ones. <laughs> you I'm got curious it. which ones are on your mind. Um, I know everybody, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> I know everybody. But you did turn down some, so let's talk about yeah. why. Well, so so it's been almost two and a half years since the acquisition of Product Hunt by okay. AngelList. So you have um, a four-year logo here. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it, transparently it's like a three-year primarily okay. uh, lockup, but it's lockup is such a weird word because it's not it's at will employment. I could leave tomorrow if I really yeah. wanted to. And but you're investing some shares, and so that investing has value. shares. Yeah. There's certainly you know economic reason to stay. Sure. Uh, but independent of that, for me, there's there's a lot. For lack of a better like phrase, it's sort of like I have an unfinished business at, at Product Hunt that I want to complete, and we have an amazing team. I have, um, you know, some people have been with me for over four years now. Uh, so through most of this journey at Product Hunt, and they're amazing teammates, and they're they're really excelling and taking on more responsibility, which has allowed me to really think more strategically and focus more on the strategic stuff rather than day to day operations, and that's allowed me then to free up time to do investing also on the mm-hmm. side. So to go back to your question around why not you know leave and join a fund, I I enjoy what I'm doing mm. and I know that I could learn a ton from joining a big firm and you know from from people who invested way longer than I have, but I I have more interest and passion and um, excitement around building my own thing and building my own brand longer term. And while Weekend Fund is is tiny in the world of of you know venture firms uh, yeah. and it's still only two years old. I'm hopeful that I can build it into something really meaningful long-term and in a brand that people respect and want to be a part of. And that's more exciting to me right now. Now, maybe maybe I'll join a firm uh, some someday years in the future, but right now I just don't have, it's not the obvious right choice for me. I yeah. Think. And you learn a lot by being independent. It's a forcing function to sit in the captain's chair. So mm-hmm. while you might not be in the second chair or the third chair in a big plane, you're at the controls of a small plane. Mm-hmm. Being at the controls of a small plane is most analogous to being at the controls of a big plane. And being the navigator or the flight attendant or a passenger in a big plane is not the same responsibility of even being in a small plane. So if you're in a little four-seat Cessna right now, it's $3 million fund, I'd say that's closer to being a partner at a 30 or a $300 million fund than it is to be the flight attendant or the navigator, mm-hmm. you know? On a big plane. Yeah. So I kind of agree yeah. with your strategy. Why, what was the eventual business model going to be at Product Hunt? Because Product Hunt mm-hmm. did, doesn't need to have a business model because AngelList is making $20 million off of jobs from what I understand. So it's printing money. I'm sure that pays for everything. So Product Hunt can just be a place to aggregate data and, you know, sort of be this full life cycle. It's quite brilliant of like, here's the product launching and here's the mm-hmm. product getting staffed and getting funded. It's a, it's a brilliant, I think, merger or acquisition rather. Mm-hmm. What was your eventual plan for monetization? And did you ever turn on any monetization ad? Product Hunt didn't seem like it. Yeah. So we started early last year, 2018. We started making it a priority actually to make money. Mm. Historically, we haven't. And now we're five years of not making money. Yeah, it's it's like any company, you know, you everything you prioritize is a trade off for something else. And so revenue was not our was not the priority priority at the time. Now, in hindsight, maybe it should have been at least part of our our focus. Um, But for us, 2018 was the year. Okay, let's get to profitability. Now we're we're making more money than we're spending right now uh, Mm -hmm. on the product and team. And so we've we built a model and it's working every single month which is based primarily on product promotion, job promotion, event promotion, and then a couple other oh, things like newsletter work? takeovers. Um, so 
we have multiple products essentially, uh, and they're all serving different startups. So whether they're small indie startups, you know, with with maybe seed funding to companies like uh, Segment or or you know. Uh, oh, you have that that page with the um, startup packages. That's we, that's a revenue opportunity. That's one of them. Yeah, Got Founder it. Kit, which is a bunch of deals for like Algolia to Got AWS it. and so on. Got it. Uh, but honestly, the the simplest, the thing that's worked the best hmm. is the most obvious and most simple product of ours, which is promoted posts on the homepage. So we we sell one slot. It's the fourth slot down on the homepage to one company at a flat fee. What does it cost? I, I mean, I need to get on this. Uh, it's, bucks? it's between like four to six thousand dollars per day is what we're charging. That's it. Yeah. Huh. And how many clicks downloads does it typically drive? A couple uh, it, of thousand. It varies. Uh, it can be it can be a lot more than that depending oh, really? on like the partner and, and how it's positioned. Do those votes count towards your overall votes then? So is it a way to kind of goose your votes? So the way we we actually approach it, because the, the worry is with any community, you introduce any way to make money and people are like, oh, no, game no. It. Yeah. Well, game it or, oh, no, you're, it's, it's pay to play. Yeah. And so the way that we're doing it is it's always products that were posted before in the past. Ah. You can't launch a new product and then pay to oh, be in this so spot. smart. So this way, it's always something that's been essentially validated or upvoted by the community in the past. And so smart. You came up with that? that issue. Yeah, I don't remember if it was me or someone on the team, but yeah. So smart. So you can't win today, but if this community works for you, if you're like some SaaS product or if you're, let's say, Breaker and Breaker was you know number three on the day they launched or number two, whatever, mm -hmm. that day's passed. But if they're paying $5 in install on Facebook, maybe you can beat Facebook installs for a dollar because these are high quality people. Yeah, it's that, and it's also, frankly, we're, we're selling the brand too. Like this is unique real estate. Uh, you own it. There's only one spot. So smart. And if you want to get in front of this so, early so adopter smart. tech community, a lot of investors, a lot of reporters, here's the place for you. If you had introduced that before you sold, would you have been able to sustain the company as an independent company? And do you think about that ever, like the seller's regret? Um, I don't have seller's regret at all. Uh, but if we introduced it sooner, we could have covered. So it's, it's about a third of our revenue to a half yeah. of our revenue that we're making right now. So, so we could have covered a significant amount of our burn if we introduced Yeah, like sooner. a third or something. Yeah. yeah. You would have been in spitting distance. Yeah. So how does that experience as a founder then relate to the value you provide to new founders? Do you advise them to maybe, because we had this little moment here where you said like, yeah, you know, you're if you put on monetization, you're burning cycles that could go to community building mm -hmm. or other things. When is the right time? And when do you advise a startup to turn on revenue? Yeah. <laughs> so everything, uh, like things in life, you you give advice based on your own experiences and learnings. Mm -hmm. And I, when I do give advice or my opinions, I always caveat with, you know, context can be different. The community that, that Sophia, for example, is, is building is there's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences too. Mm -hmm. And so my experiences in building product and are not necessarily going to be exactly applicable to what she's building at Girlboss. So that's sort of the asterisk I put with all every piece of advice I, I do give. But with me, what's what's nice about being an early stage investor is I have more alignment with the founder than typically a later stage inv investor in the sense that I it's it's in my best interest for this company to survive and succeed. And if they exit for $100 million, I'm happy. Like economically, I'm super happy. Whereas with other later stage investors, they need these companies to really go, go big. And so there actually might be a trade-off where it might be in the best interest to de-risk the company mm -hmm. by starting to generate uh, revenue today rather than tomorrow. And the later stage investors would rather them take the slightly higher chance of them not generating revenue today at the chance of growing bigger, faster, mm. and, and either burning out or becoming that billion dollar exit. How do you think about your next fund and the loneliness 
of not having a partner on the existing fund and not having any management fees. So basically, you only make money when you return. You get 20%, I take it, of the any dollar amount returned past $3 million. Mm-hmm. Which means you don't get paid any cash now. You're going to start receiving money for weekend fund one. Best case scenario, year six in all likelihood. Yeah. And you're in year two or three. Yeah, I'm in like late 30s. I might make some money from it. Um, Yeah, so a couple of things actually. I did bring on a chief of staff recently. About two months ago. I know. We had a whole controversy on Twitter. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's been amazing. She joined- Part-time. Part-time as well. She's 20 hours a week. Uh, a little, actually, I don't know. I don't count yeah. her hours. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> she, she's, uh, but she's kind of like me. She loves, she loves working on the weekends. She's super autonomous. She's proactive. Uh, she's helping me with a number of things from evaluating investments, doing market research diligence to even sourcing, um, you know, everything in between. How did you get around the management fee? So for people who don't know, you put up an opportunity to work part-time, like 20 hours a week, like you do on mm-hmm. spec. For a return. Actually, it was more like, I think I, I forget the exact hours I put there, but somewhere between eight eight to 15 hours. So it was a week. fluctuating. It wasn't yeah. Like a so, it, okay, let's call it 12 hours a week. Yeah. Not even part-time. It would be like a hobby. You put mm-hmm. this amazing opportunity to do a hobby and you got savaged on Twitter mm-hmm. for offering people a job that had compensation the same as yours, the same as any angel investor, which is, yeah, in your six, you will get part of the carry and it's mm-hmm. uncapped. Mm-hmm. If it hits, if we hit an Uber, if we hit a, a Robin Hood, this could be, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions of dollars potentially. Mm-hmm. And you got savaged by the Twitter mob, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. And to to the Twitter mom's credit, I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, I I give them zero credit. They're a bunch <laughs> I did of lunatics. Yeah, I did. The way I positioned it, the words I used were, were not were were poorly word worded. Really, I said. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people because the thing with you know this with Twitter mobs um, and quoting when people take a quote out of context of the yeah. situation, it people make assumptions and then it spirals. They into assume a thing. bad faith because yeah. you said job. Was yeah, that the thing or you? Uh... It was the the way there was some language I used that basically said this isn't a paid position when it is just not paid in cash initially. Right. And so the way that people interpreted it was I'm asking for free work and free labor. Uh, and I'm and that triggered of a bunch of the libs. You triggered the libs, the snowflakes. Yeah, it's- What a bunch of idiots, honestly. Yeah, I know you can't say but... it, but I can. <laughs> Here's the difference. I've made my money already. You people are idiots, honestly. What a bunch of idiots. I wrote a, a vibrant defense of your position, which is, yeah, hey, yeah. idiots, if you take this position- and you work for 12 hours a week with Ryan for free, and you get, let's say you gave them 10% of the carry, two of your 20 points, and you return 10 million. Mm-hmm. You get 2 million, they get $40,000 for essentially would have been two years worth of work, 10 hours a week. Uh, that's a pretty good deal for just 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And now you've got on your resume that I help source deals for. Ryan Hoover, somebody who's known. Listen, you're you're not proven in the venture space yet, mm-hmm. but you're a known quantity in the entrepreneurial space. Now you've got an entree into Naval, AngelList. You had Andreessen Horowitz as investors. It mm-hmm. is like the easiest on-ramp. And these idiots are like, oh, there's an on-ramp? Oh, you're taking advantage of people. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my God. People are so ridiculous. It's tough. Well, uh, despite... 
that that feedback then you hundreds of applications a lot of people were excited so before you made it paid before yeah and i did shift it and, and i have some new thoughts around like um you know it's important to me that the person that does accept the job feels well compensated whether yeah. it's through cash or carry or a mixture of both uh you know basically it was a provided different options there for that person oh, okay so, so you told them like listen you can take 10 percent of the carry and no cash you can take five percent of the carry some cash or one percent of the carry and yeah, more to, cash yeah to, give them like two or three options it's kind of like and i've done menu. this with people i've had on, at product hunt too some people care a lot about equity some people need more cash compensation sure. for financial reasons right and so we just lay out the options do you want more equity less equity more yeah. cash less cash so the thing i object to so much is that i know you as an individual and i assume good faith and i know the opportunity mm-hmm. the problem with the hysterical mobs on twitter right and left is they just want to destroy somebody for sport and assume bad faith. They could have just asked you like, well, would you consider paying somebody and giving them less comp? Or what if the person needs some money to live off of? Would you give them a stipend of $500 a month, you know, minimum wage and give them a, you would have been like, yeah, sure, I'll consider that. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're just like, rich person, which you're not rich yet. You have yeah. equity, you will be, yeah. but I assume you're not rich yet, right? Your trust fund is... <laughs> parents are giving you the trust fund at 45 or something yeah no trust fund uh, yeah i mean i'm, I'm uh you know you're doing okay in the middle doing okay yeah. doing okay but i'm, I'm not going to retire anytime soon that's exactly. sure. you have to work yeah even if everything materializes that's on paper right now i'm not going to be able to retire <laughs> so how do you think about the next fund yeah how do you think about it do you think i want to now that you've done a three million dollar one with the help of angel as pop-up funds which mm. these things only cost i think seventy five thousand dollars to set up over 10 years is that the ballpark yeah hundred thousand they're different pricing and kind of like ways of actually in, in the first fund there was there was no payment of any kind actually right you give them 25 percent of the carry yeah a piece and, of the carry a small, yeah. smaller piece than that um 10 percent of the carry got it okay. yeah, yeah yeah and uh and so you don't i have think to, it's out there anyways yeah 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 the numbers are out there they they make it super easy to manage all the back office and everything else that goes into like the boring stuff the logistics yeah. of setting up a fund and make it economical for a small, tiny fund. Because imagine there are people with million-dollar funds on AngelList. Imagine if you had to spend $100,000 paying a lawyer and getting everything set up. And now you're already 10% in the hole. Yeah, it should be no more than fund. 5%, I think, would yeah. be the rule of thumb. Yeah. And I think you can set that up now thanks to some of the back-end technologies out there and the mm-hmm. creative stuff that different people have done. Yeah. So, But the management fee still is an issue. So are you thinking for your next – because in my first fund, I didn't take a management fee. My next fund, I did – a 30% carry and a mm. capped at 10% management fee because we're doing accelerator oh, yeah. investments, different, different model, right? which are at a 1.67 million or $2 million valuation, something in that range because you have to run it, but you have a cost. Mm-hmm. You need to have somebody running it. Mm-hmm. So of a $10 million fund, that means you have a million dollars over the life of the fund mm-hmm. to run the accelerator, which takes you know two years to deploy active and then eight years of non-active management of the fund. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking about doing something like that, maybe take a capped 10% management fee for the next one or something? Yeah, so in the next fund, I'll be taking a, a management fee this yeah. time. Uh, now, granted, it's a small management, it's a management fee. 2% a soon. year, 3% a year. 2%, some of it actually, the way the economics work will go to Angelus, some will go to me. And, and that's how they get paid. That's how they they make money. Uh, but the... It's on a small multiple. Of course, yeah. I'm not raising a fifty or a hundred million dollar fund. Yeah, if you raise so. a ten million, you take two percent a year for whatever number of years, and it caps two hundred k. Let's say it's I could take half that. It's a hundred k a year, so it's not much money. Um, it's something. It's something, and yeah. it's enough to you build the website. <laughs> yeah, build the website. Pay for uh, your Google Docs admin. 
Yeah, I mean, it pays. It means I don't have to pay out of pocket to support, um, you know, pay for the chief of staff and the cash compensation piece. Uh, it also gives me a little bit of budget to work with uh, on the fund itself. What makes a great? Now I'm going to do these rapid fire questions. What makes a great founder? Great founder. It's I mean, this might be a cop out answer, but it's contextual. I think it's based on what they're building mm-hmm. because there's depending on what you're building. Ideally, that founder can have the strongest skill set to solve the biggest problem, and and so for me, I think when I think about it generally, it's someone who's very has a strong perspective of the future and knows what to, not doesn't know the answers, but knows what they're going to be building toward. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Do you invest in pre-launch startups? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you make the decision? when there is no product or customers. Yeah. So sometimes it's, uh, many times it's, there's a there's a saying that for some people is a little bit controversial, but founder market fit. Mm-hmm. And it depends on how you define it. For me, founder market fit isn't necessarily this person came from this industry and is building for this industry, but it's more about this person has some unique quality that's, that's um, uh, competitive in the market to solve this problem in this industry. And it might be extreme passion or domain expertise or something that that just makes them sort of this X factor. Going back to Sophia, she has this mm. X factor when it comes to community building and getting people excited and kind of part of a mission. I Yeah, I think her superpower is people want to hang out with her mm-hmm. and be in her orbit. Mm-hmm. And they like her style. And now I know this sounds super vapid. Because style seems like, well, what does style matter, right, mm-hmm. in a business? But if you think her business previously was as a curator of clothes she would find and then resell, mm-hmm. well, that, you need to have an eye for style. Mm-hmm. And then if you watch her on social media, she does four outfit changes a day on her Snap stories. And each one, you're like, wow, that's a really interesting outfit. And oh, wow, they really took a nice picture uh, and, or they did a nice, what do they call it when you make a video that does like a little loop, a like loop, a vine? Like, like, what is the one called on Instagram? A boomerang, boomerang thank you. Yeah. A, like a boomerang. Um, and then you go to her events and everything is set designed in Instagrammable moments. So mm-hmm. the set and the, the stage and the photo booth and the place where you get a glass of water is all gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That counts for something actually, I think. So I think it's an interesting... Um, she's yeah. also really authentic and pretty vulnerable. Yes. actually, um, it's it's something that people gravitate towards. Is is they really want to connect with people who feel like real people, not like you know. Actually, if you go to you had Casey on your podcast yeah. recently, and Casey um, was one of our live chat guests. He drove the most traffic, more than Snoop Dogg and a bunch of other people who are more traditional celebrities. Yeah, nothing against Snoop Dogg. I think what he's doing is really awesome. But he comes from a different world where it's more like a character in, in a way. And yeah. And feels Casey, less authentic. Less authentic, a little bit. Uh, yeah. Um, and Casey, Casey's like a, he's he's a selfie like vlogger person. Like it feels it's like hundred percent authentic. Him. He's and like so, I had a kid at fifteen. I was dealing weed at sixteen. I left my home. I mean, he was yeah. just raw. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Sophie is kind of like that too, and in, in how she yeah because nasty gal failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wound up taking a bunch of money off the table in secondary, which was good for her. But mm-hmm. it did fail. It was at, she lost control of her own company. And now she's starting over. So it's almost like Girl Boss is this redemption or revenge kind of startup. Like, I'm going to build something even bigger now. Mm-hmm. People love that kind of uh, theme. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think, uh, how do you value a business pre-launch? And how do you val- value it when they have some amount of traction? 
value from a valuation valuation yeah uh, we hear well, six million cap in silicon valley to 15 million people coming out of y combinator and they've mm-hmm. got two weeks of traction mm-hmm. how do you think about the valuation range here in silicon valley and what's too expensive what's just right and what's too cheap mm-hmm. so being being an early stage investor i'm not leading around so i don't set the price mm-hmm. uh, exactly but i do make decisions based on price and so there's some really really amazing companies who are doing well that I passed on that were, let's say, 35 mil pre-launch. Um, $35 million valuation before they launched. Yeah. And these, Hilarious. these are exceptional. Now, these are exceptional founders and teams that can build ah. things. So, you know, maybe it was a mistake. But when you look at the economics of a 50K check in a 35 mil pre-launch company, you know, this company's got to be $3 billion, $4 billion exit for it to be really meaningful for the fund. Yeah. And so I do take price into consideration. And if you think about like, the reality is a lot of these companies are going to fail. And would it be best for me to put this check into three companies or one company? Because this company is a 12 mil cap or 15 mil cap versus the average being five or six mil. And it's, if you do that, you're going to triple your chances of hitting an outlier. Mm-hmm. What do you think the number of investments you need to hit is in order to hit a unicorn, let's call it a 100x, 200x return? How many investments do you think you need to make in the Silicon Valley to hit a hundred or two hundred x return? I wish I remembered the name of this blog post, but there's there's a bunch of different people who've done analysis on this, and there's certainly diminishing returns when it comes to the the odds that you're putting out. So if you invest in five companies, the reality is you're probably not going to hit a unicorn. If you do, good luck. But you're probably not in the earliest stage of you know like I am investing in the first round of funding. And then once you get to 30, 40 companies or so in a portfolio, that's when it starts to become more distributed. And the reality is you can only only lose one extra money. So if I put 50K in a, in a company, that's the most I can lose in that company. But it could 10X, could 100X, 5,000X like Uber did. And and so I think Uber about Uber 5,000 next? Wasn't it 5,000 or something? Oh my God, you I gotta check know. my portfolio. <laughs> something like that. It was 5,000X actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's sizable. And uh, so yeah. this this first fund will be of roughly 40 companies by the end. And, and that right. was intentional. And if one, if you were doing the same check size, if a $75,000 check goes 100x, 10 times 75 is 750, 100 times 75 is 7.5 million, mm-hmm. it takes you only 150x, let's say, 150x, and you return the entire fund mm-hmm. and you're in the black. 100x, you've now cash on cash doubled. Mm-hmm. But with a small $3 million fund, you don't have the reserves to do follow on. So that mm-hmm. leads to our next question. Mm-hmm. How do you think about follow on funding? Because you have pro rata in every deal. And do you insist on having pro rata in every deal? Mm-hmm. And then how do you think of follow on funding? So there's two questions there for you. Yeah. Yeah. So most deals that do have pro rata, there are certain situations where it just doesn't work out. You can't make it happen. Uh, but it's something I ask for and push for in every single deal. And that said, I don't have enough money to follow on with a million dollar check, you know, when the, the Series D comes along. But that's where C, uh, SPVs come into play. And so AngelList, of course, has been known for for supporting and, and, you know, before the fund kind of product existed, syndicates is how people invested through AngelList. So very easily, I'm able to, you know, spin up an SPV to invest, let's say, a 500K allocation in a pro rata deal for a hot company that's that's that I have an allocation in. Um, now, that does require me to go effectively go raise that money. But if it's a good company and, and um, you know, my LPs want to participate, this is a great way for them to do so. Uh, so you can just do an SPV, pop it up, and then offer them. And you could also yeah. syndicate it to other people. That too. Mm-hmm. You know, who who weren't in the original uh, one. Um, 
how many companies do you look at, let's say, review digitally, you know, they email mm-hmm. you or they send you a business plan, and then how many do you meet with in person in order to get to writing a check? So think it yeah. through for a second. Yeah. How many meetings to get to a check and how many, you know, reviewing of documents does it take to get to the meetings to get to that one? Yeah. I actually don't have this quantified, um, so I can I can make some estimated Ballpark, guesses. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's is we all we all get a lot of emails, whether it's you know uh, warm introductions or cold emails. So that's in the number of hundreds hundreds a month. Um, probably emails come in. Um, the reality is, I, I unable to like really look at all those all those deals thoroughly. Um, let's say that the, of the companies that I actually meet with, and I used to do a video call actually for most. Meetings. Oh, really? You zoom it out. I do Zoom. Go to yeah. meeting Zoom. Yeah, Zoom or Google Hangouts. It's actually just a lot more efficient. I don't have to travel. Yeah. Um, I find it 95% as effective as being in person, personally. I have to think this through because I have a no Zoom go to meeting mm-hmm. right now because I want to look people in the eye and spend a little bit of time with them. Mm-hmm. I also want to see if they have the wherewithal to come meet me in person because mm-hmm. I consider it a test. Mm-hmm. But I might be ancient and making a mistake. Yeah. I wonder if I have to change that. I mean, there's two two benefits, I guess. One is you can save time, both both parties. You don't have to travel. They don't have to travel. Um, in some ways, actually, you can have less unnecessary small talk. Sometimes small talk is good and kind of like yeah. getting to know people. But I feel like there's more of that in person that may not be necessary to evaluate mm. a company. And and then the other thing is you have access to the world in terms of the companies that, that you might be investing in. So right. in my in Weekend Fund, we've invested in 37 companies, about 30, 35% are San Francisco-based, hmm. and the rest are everything from Canada to uh, one in London that I'm looking at right now that we're committed to, to um, uh, you know, New Orleans, actually. So what do you think it is? You got hundreds of emails coming in. You make one or two investments a month, so it's got to be, let's call it 250 emails for one investment. How many in-person or web meetings do you do before investing? If I was to guess, what? I would say I'd say ten, ten to one, which might be one. on the lower side than most. That's really low, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's partly because it's earlier stage. Then mm-hmm. there's not enough. There's not as much diligence, or there's right. no product, so you can't really talk to customers. You mm-hmm. can't do that type of research. So, um, as a result, you pay a cheaper price than you know later stage. What's your average valuation? Would you say it's median valuation? Median's around six and a half, uh, like pre money. Got typically. It. So when you put in your 75K, you're buying basically 1%. Is that your thesis? Roughly. Roughly yeah. by 1% mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, would you advise founders today, because you made the trip and you moved from where to Silicon Valley? Oregon. Yeah. You moved from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Lovely, mm-hmm. beautiful, affordable, yeah. crime-free, nature. Yeah, there's, there's Gorgeous. some meth and stealing. And, oh, how's the yeah. meth? Is it good? I don't know. I, oh, I, okay. I've stopped staying up to date, but yeah, it's, okay. it's a problem. Yeah, yeah it's a problem. <laughs> um, and uh, you moved here. Mm-hmm. What would you advise the next Ryan Hoover who's considering moving here? If they've raised their million-dollar seed fund, should they move here or not? So if they're an investor? And they no, they are starting Product Hunt. They've starting raised company. a million-dollar round. Mm. Should they move from Oregon or Portland, or mm-hmm. San Diego, to San Francisco in 2019-2020? I think this goes back to another cop-out answer. It kind of depends on what you're building. So I think- They're building product hunt or breaker. If they're building if they're building for the tech world, be here. Now, that doesn't mean your whole team needs to be here. So mm. product hunt wouldn't exist if I didn't move to San Francisco in 2010. Not because 
I mean, the reality is most of my relationships and, and most of what we built is all digital. But being here gave me access to build relationships over between 2010 to 2013, 14, mm-hmm. built so many relationships and connections and also got exposed, I think, to new ideas that I still probably to this day can't really mm-hmm. articulate or even recognize. But being here gave me like this DNA, I think, to be able to build Product Hunt. And that said, the Product Hunt team is all over the world. So right now, actually today, Jack is on maternity leave. She's the only other person in San Francisco and me right now. Everyone else is around the world. So the high art today, the best advice is, yeah, founders be here, incur the brunt of the cost of living and the insanity, but build your team remote. You, you believe in building remote teams. Yeah, I think it's, if I was going to start another company tomorrow, it's probably how I'd build it. Um, and I can go on and on of why that, that is. But but also, I'll, I will mention that not every company needs to be built in San Francisco. And if you, let's say, are building a media company or a fashion company or a music company, probably should be in LA. But you can also build your team remotely. So yeah. my, my girlfriend, Susie, she just co-founded the company with Troy. and it's Troy Carter. Industry. Troy Carter. Yeah. Troy Carter. Yeah, he's wow, big. She's deal. been working with him for. I know. Since I we met, met her. Yeah, yeah, I met her when I was down there. I didn't know she was your girlfriend. She had told me that though. Yeah, it's like oh, yeah, really? We she met Troy and me in the same month. Um, really? Funny enough, yeah. And so anyway, they're building in the music industry, so they're in LA, but they're thinking about how to build and grow a team and considering hiring remotely as well. Yeah. Uh, do you think about the total addressable market when you're? making an investment or you said earlier that you're looking for markets that are emerging which would mean they're harder to define do you mm-hmm. care about that because it seems like at every demo day people are on stage yelling and screaming food is a 15 trillion dollar tam transportation's a 20 million dollar tam mm-hmm. travel is a 10 billion trillion dollar tam does any of that matter to people you think i think it depends on what if you're building for a mature market let's mm-hmm. say then I think those TAM numbers make more sense because you can now project, okay, this market's probably not going to change dramatically in the next five to 10 years in terms of the the number of people that might need this service or this product. But if it's for a nascent industry like voice and audio, that one's growing rapidly. And it's kind of hard to understand even, like this, go back to mobile. How would we have known that mobile would enable Uber and all these other businesses? You, you yeah. couldn't really quantify that or, or measure that very easily. No. I mean, you just make the assumption that everybody on the planet in 30 years would have one or 20 years. That's yeah. the, and you could just work yeah. backwards from there, maybe, and yeah. then deci- or decide 80% of the planet will have one. Therefore, you But then know, your numbers are so high, it's like stupid to even think about it. It's like, okay, yeah. well, I need to just imagine, will, this, will enough people need this and will they pay enough money or will there be some way to derive enough revenue to make it a big business? And okay. honestly, it's- it's fuzzy math at the okay. earliest stage. Now for our final two Patreon questions. Mm. I'm going to ask the questions, and then we're going to cut them. You can only see right. the answers when you subscribe for Patreon, and we're going to have a uh, $3 and $5 level. Right now, I think it's only 10 and 20 That was my mistake. So Master Nick put on a $3 and $5 level. <laughs> okay, these are the two questions. Mm-hmm. What's one thing people can do in a meeting, an investment meeting, that will get you to say yes? What is the thing that is most likely to get Ryan Hoover to say yes and write that check? And then conversely, what are the one or two things they can do or that you can discover during that meeting that make you pass? Mm -hmm. Three, two, Patreon, boom. All right, so one thing I love is when they 
That is so. such a great answer. I feel the same way. When I come yeah. out of a meeting and I feel that way, I am more likely to write a check. Hey, listen, Ryan, thanks for coming on the pod. Uh, pretty easy to find Ryan. He's RR Hoover, two O's on the Twitter, weekend.fund, producthunt.com. And all around, great guy. He's on AngelList as well, angel.co slash RR Hoover. And uh, congratulations on all the great investments. You're going to do great. And you got one. Oh, look, you got your little. You got your first little acquisition going on there. Little yeah. yummy yum yum. Yeah, little little spectrum uh, from GitHub. Yeah, GitHub acquired them. cash or stock. What do you got? A little uh, bit I don't both? know if I can share. Oh, okay. Yeah. Little yum yum though. Uh, yum, I, yum? I don't know if I can share. Okay. <laughs> is it a yum or a yum yum? Uh, I, uh, I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna, or is I'm it, it oh yum yum? I don't know. See, there's yum. Yeah. And there's like yum you got, yum. You got your money back plus a little. You've bit. been doing this yum yum thing there's lately. There's yum yum, which is like, oh, you 10x or better. Yeah. And then there's, oh, my yum yum. That's when you got the 100x, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, it wasn't that. It's it not wasn't, 100X. oh, my yum yum. Yes, it was so not that. So it's either yum or yum yum. I got yeah, you. All right. You gave, us a, yeah. you gave us a good ability to uh, narrow it down. All right. We'll see you all next time on Angel, the podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>